Hey guys, welcome to a Light in the Darkness podcast. I'm Carly Robison. I'm a wife, a mother, and a person who's been suffering with severe health challenges for over 10 years. Through that time, I've had successes and failures while trying to maintain a positive attitude. Now I want to share what I've learned with you, hoping to make your hard times a little easier. This podcast is to help those of us facing times of darkness and trial find ways to let the light in. Hello, thank you for joining us on the Light in the Darkness podcast. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend, Heidi Hamilton. Thanks so much for joining us today, Heidi. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, Heidi and I um, used to live in the same church congregation. How long? It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. We've about almost 10 years, I think, maybe. So you moved right around the same time that I got yeah. sick. I remember being at a thing with you and you mentioning about your peanut allergy. And I just thinking that was such a, you know, to get that at such a later time in your life, how just yeah crazy that was. Crazy. So yeah. All righty. Well, we're so excited to like reconnect with each other and I'm excited for you guys to hear Heidi's story. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Heidi Hamilton was raised by wonderful parents, Dan and Patricia Potts in West Jordan, Utah. She has three sisters and her parents adopted her brother when she was about 15. Heidi went to Snow College after high school where she met her husband. Heidi graduated from the University of Utah in 2002 with a degree in communications and business. She worked for the Forest Service for eight years before she had her first baby and then became a stay-at-home mom. They now have six children. Heidi enjoys being a mother and a wife. She also enjoys reading, trail running, hiking, triathlons, family history, digital scrapbooking, and traveling. So again, welcome to the Light in the Doctors podcast, Heidi. <laughs> Thanks so much, Carly. Yeah. So first, let's just talk about growing up. What was life for you like in, in West Jordan, Utah, growing up? <laughs> it was great. I had a great just childhood and upbringing, and it's funny, the older I get and the more people I talk to and uh, meet the more I realized how blessed my upbringing really was. You know, it was just great. I had friends all around me and we were a close family. We did vacations every year and just, um, it was great. It was a great time. I went to West Jordan high, had lots of good memories and good times and yeah. So you said that you went to snow college and that's where you met your husband. Tell me a little bit about that. Yep. He, uh, <laughs> he had just gotten back from his mission in the Canary Islands and it's, at snow, there's like, uh, 10 girls to every one boy, you know? So it wasn't, I wasn't really, and I actually was writing like a couple different missionaries at the time. I wasn't really like on the lookout for a husband at all, but, um, he had come over, his stepdad told him to come meet my roommate because they worked together, like her dad and Jason's stepdad worked together. So he's like, go, go meet this girl. Anyway, so he came over and knocked on our door. And we, of course, everyone thought he was just so handsome and, you know, a return missionary. It was just very, um, but not like, I mean, it was one of those things like, oh, he's so cute, but that would never happen, you know? And anyway, like I said, I was not really looking for that at the time I was writing some guys. So um, he, but it just, kind of ended up being <laughs> meant to be. We we got together in, I think, 1998. We got married in the Salt Lake Temple in May of 2000. So it's his family's in Richfield. And so that's been fun to be part of that kind of small town vibe. And they do lots of activities and stuff. So yeah. anyway. That's awesome. So you guys have six children. You said that you um, worked a little bit and then you started having kids. So why don't you kind of start at that point? Tell me about having your babies and we'll just kind of take it from there. Yeah. So, um, I worked for the forest service, like right out of high school and then ended up working at the federal building downtown. And 
when we first got married, I was just like, so like, I didn't want to have kids for a long time, but then the Lord softened my heart and we started trying. It took us a while to have our first baby. But I, by that time I was so ready to be home with my kids. I just had such a huge desire to be home with them. And that's where I knew I needed to be. So McKinley, our oldest was born in uh, September of 2005. And then we had Ireland. She was born in 2007, so she's 13 now. Um, and that was when we had moved to Harriman. And then we had another baby in Harriman, Kezia. Uh, we had our son, Link, who we'll talk about here in Cedar City. We moved to Cedar City in 2011 and had him in 2012. And uh, my daughter, Noelle, was born in 2014. So she's six and then I have a four-year-old and yeah, so. Nice. Lots of girls. <laughs> Lots of fun in your family. Yes. So yes, let's talk. Um, the reason everybody has a lot of different stories that they can talk about in their life, but um, I asked you here to kind of share your experience with your sweet baby Link. So let's just kind of start talking about him. Okay, great. And jump in here at any time. Like I'm just gonna kind of, I'm gonna start his, his story in June of 2012. Uh, at the time, McKinley was six years old and Kezia was four years old and, or sorry, Ireland was four years old and Kezia was two years old. So we had three young girls and we had our ultrasound and found out we were having a boy. So that was a pretty big deal to uh, be like, wow, a boy. And we were so excited. It was very disorienting because our whole world was girls at that point, but we're so excited. Obviously, Jason was excited um, to have a son, and I was excited to buy all the dinosaur onesies, and I had a boy baby shower and got all kinds of just adorable, you know, baby boy things, and it was just awesome. Um, so Jason and I were trying to figure out his name, and so we have a couple different themes of names going on in our family. Um, one of them is like we have names, the first names that start with H, I, J, K, and then we had M. So we were missing the L. And I told Jason, let's name him Link, L-I-N-K, because he'll link our names and our family together. And Jason liked it, but he was like, what about Lincoln? Like Abraham Lincoln, you know, like Lincoln Hamilton sounds very... <laughs> you know, presidential, patriotic, whatever. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So, but I didn't want to spell it like Abraham Lincoln. So we, we kind of compromised. So it's L-I-N-K-I-N. So, and we just, you know, always referred to him as Link. Mm -hmm. Very, very few times did we say his full name, but you know, I, I loved that, that he would link our names together. That was I like, love that. I didn't know that you, that's the reason you named him that even. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, it just, yeah, was perfect. It ended up being exactly, exactly um, what his name needed to be. Yeah. Um, so he was born, my water broke a week early and I went into the hospital. I think I went in at like 1 a.m. and I would, was hoping it'd be really fast because my water had already broken. <laughs> and it, he wasn't born until like 6.40 that night. Oh, and wow. I was just exhausted. Oh, it was such a long day. And I was just, but I was just, when they handed him to me, when you go through that long of a labor and you're so exhausted, but the reward of just holding that baby and he was nine pounds, six ounces, <laughs> very big baby. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just holding him right after I gave birth was just the sweetest moment you know I got to hold him his grandmas were both there they got to hold him and Jason got to hold him and so we all had a little bit of time with him before they took him to do the regular testing yeah um and that's when they found out his blood sugars were like super low like critic like they said 10 or something crazy like they whisked him off and started him on glucose um but they were very much like, you know, this, this happens with bigger babies, you know, um, a lot of times they have high, high blood sugars or low blood sugars, sorry. 
they have low blood sugar, so we just get them on some glucose and they wean off of it and they're fine. And so our doctor was very confident that things would resolve quickly. And I remember being in the hospital room and the photographer came in to take pictures and I'm like, he's not here right now, but like, he'll be back tomorrow. You know, it's all, it'll be fine. And, but then the next day I got a call and they're like, Hey, and my doctor was just like, Hey, he's still struggling with his blood sugars. And we're going to send an ambulance to take him to St. George NICU. And I was just like, Whoa, 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 what's happening? What's going on? <laughs> you know, you're just like, I had no idea that was coming and I just thought everything was going to be fine. So, uh, it was a shock. And so we got him down there and, uh, he was in St. George for two weeks with Dr. Carroll down in there in the NICU. And at the time, you know, we're juggling my three girls in Cedar City and, and Blink in the NICU in St. George and, um, and Dr. Carroll's talking with us every day and we're trying all these different things to get him to wean off the glucose. And they're just, his blood sugars just kept dropping. And, um, Dr. Carroll was like, he's that kid that keeps me up at night. Like, what is the deal? Like, why is he struggling so much? And I, you know, no one kind of knew we're all just trying to get through this experience. This was around uh, Thanksgiving time. He, he kind of sat us down and he was like, we're going to do this genetic test on you and Jason and see if there's something else going on. And he's like, I'm also, I'm going to try this new medicine on him. And he said, if this new medicine doesn't work, then I'm recommending a transfer to the children's hospital in Philadelphia. Wow. And I just, <laughs> I just heard those words and I was just like, what? <laughs> in Utah, we all go to like primary children's, yeah. right? Like no one thinks Philadelphia, you know? Yeah. Um, and the medicine didn't work. And so we did, we got this life flight plane and we left at like 4 a.m. from St. George. And here's Link in his isolate. We had two nurses, Jason and I and the pilot in this little life flight plane. And we left at 4 a.m. and flew all across the country all day long and finally got to Philadelphia and here, we are with with our baby boy in Philadelphia with our girls across the country in Salt Lake with my parents. And so to say this whole thing was hard is like an understatement. I've never like not taken my baby home from the hospital, you know, like, so it was just such a shock and like such a time to process physically, like I just having a baby, like my body was just a big baby from having a baby after, yeah, a big baby <laughs> after 18 hours of labor. Like I just wanted to sleep for a week and here we are like running all over and, and flying across the country. And so it was just exhausting. It was emotionally exhausting. It was physically exhausting. Were you able to hold him at all or be with him? During this, you know, even the time in St. George, were you able to kind of spend time with him at least? Yeah, we did every day. Um, he was always hooked up to like five machines <laughs> and that was really hard. You know, his sisters never got to hold him without him being all hooked up or through the isolates, you know, they would kind of touch him. They would let me hold him. Um, one of the other things that was a big trial for me, which I didn't, maybe you wouldn't think of it, but like, I'd always breastfed all my kids and the doctor kind of deemed that the energy he was taking and breastfeeding was going to be more than he should have with just like a feeding tube since his blood sugars just kept dropping. So I had to pump and I'd never done that before. And that was like emotionally hard for me. Like I wanted to hold my baby, yeah. feed my baby you know, waking up in the middle of the night to a machine is just so depressing, <laughs> you know? 
Um, being separated from my girls, especially like during the holiday season was so hard. Like I was constantly, and of course they're going through their own. <laughs> See you mom and dad. Here's our three girls that are acting out. They don't know what's going on. They're kind of in shock and they want their mom and dad. They want us to be a family. And we're like sending them. We didn't know when we'd be back. They just were like, it could take months and months and months. Like there were families there that had been there for six months, a year. I mean, we didn't know what to expect. My parents took him to Salt Lake and enrolled him in school and saying goodbye to them was like one of the hardest things I'd ever done. Having a child, which I know so many people can relate to this, but having a child in a hospital situation and watching them go through all the pokes and the prods and everything that they have to do to help your child. Um, you know, when you have a baby and you take them in for their two week checkup and they have to like prick the heel and squeeze out the blood and do a little, and the baby's just crying. Like, what are you yeah. doing? You know, it's so heartbreaking every time I hate that appointment. Um, so they had to do that basically every three hours with him. They had to check his blood sugars. His whole heel was just pricked and pricked everywhere. His little toes, all of them were just, just a little hamburger, you know, cause they had to check his blood sugars every three hours. And that was just so hard to watch as a mom. I mean, he had pick lines in his belly button and his head, like in his leg, like they, it was just heartbreaking to see this, you know, this tiny little innocent child that just doesn't know what's going on. And all of a sudden he's in life, just getting, you know, hurt all the time. It was really hard as a mom. Yeah. So, and then there was a lot of like worry and anxiety just about what was going to happen and what's going on with my son, um, about medical bills and all of that. So, um, so I was just struggling and I was praying a lot and <laughs> my prayers were mostly like, heal my son, please. Like, can we just please let this be done so we can be a family again. I am exhausted. Just please heal him. Yeah. And God's answer to me um, was, you need to find gratitude and joy in the journey that you're on right now. And he, wow. yeah, <laughs> I was like, That's okay. a hard answer. It's a hard <laughs> answer. I was like, okay. There was a time, so we got to Philadelphia and we were sleeping in the hospital room and I was so exhausted. I mean, you just don't sleep. There's the nurses coming in all the time. And I was like, honey, we are going to have to find a hotel room or something. Like I can't do this one more night. I can't. And then that very day we got a call from the Ronald McDonald house that they had a room for us. And that was, it was a miracle. I was just we could walk to the hospital. It was amazing. And they are amazing. They had food for us to eat. They had a room for us to sleep in. And right next to Ronald McDonald house was a chapel for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I was just like, another love note. Like how is this possible? Um, so we went to church that first Sunday and we were having a lesson in Sunday school. And it was about, the Jaredites from the Book of Mormon, and they talked about how they, like, were on their little, you know, tight like a dish, these ships, and they're on the waters, and and Heavenly Father blew them to the promised land, basically, <laughs> like, but it was rough going, you know, um, but it said they did sing praises unto the Lord all the day, all the night, through this whole experience, and Heavenly Father was just like, yeah, you need to be singing praises through. They didn't wait till they got to the promised land. Yeah. This whole journey, they were thanking Heavenly Father and finding joy in their journey. And I was like, okay, hey, that's what I got to do. <laughs> and I was like, how? How do I do this? This is yeah. so hard. This is so hard. Um, so what I did was two things. I, I, I write in a journal regularly. I always have. So I decided to, when I wrote, when I wrote, and 
before just jumping into everything, you know, like, oh, this and this and this and all the hard things. I was like, I'm going to write at least 10 things I am grateful for and blessings and mercies I have seen before I write all the hard stuff. So that's what I did. And it was amazing to me to see the miracles all along the way. So many people helping, praying, you know, just like, yeah, the Ronald McDonald house, having a church right next to it, being taken care of in so many different ways. Um, Heavenly Father was there for us. He knew exactly what we were going through. And writing down those things and, and opening my eyes to them was a huge part of me getting through that difficult time. Um, the second thing I did was reach out to a friend. And that's hard for me to reach out. I'm kind of an introvert. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist. So it's hard for me to be like, I need, I need help. I am struggling here. And I don't know if you know her. I, her name's Gayla Schmidt. She was, yeah, yeah, she was in our neighborhood. And uh, she went to my high school. So I knew her from high school. Oh, okay. And even when she was in our neighborhood, like I knew her, but we weren't close friends. But after, because of this reason, <laughs> okay, because I need her. She, Heavenly Father put her in, in my life. And I turned to her, she, you know, you probably already know, but her husband uh, died from brain cancer. And I watched her at church, just walk through those halls with the most genuine, sincere joy, like smile. She would smile. And it wasn't like a, I am enduring to the end in this trial. It was like, a, I am finding joy and peace and love through this trial. I mean, he, I mean, had she had to spoon feed him by the end of this it was horrible what she had to go through and watch him go through and she had two little kids at the time and at the time i just remember watching her going how is she doing that like how what is her secret she is going through the refiner's fire but she is walking through it with grace and and happiness and joy so I reached out to her and I said, look, what's your secret? Yeah. <laughs> like, my trial is nothing compared to yours, but like, I have to know how you found joy in that. And bless her heart. She's the most um, humble, like wise person, full of love. And she just sent me exactly what I needed to hear. And part of that was what I've been hearing all along is that you need to stop the fight so much. Like she came to a point where she was fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. And when she, um, when she submitted, when she submitted to the Lord and said, you know what? I really wanted it to go this way, but I'm okay with it going the way you need it to go. Yeah. Then she found the peace. Then her heart was able to find the peace that passeth understanding. And then she was able to find the joy, even through all of that. And the other thing, she sent me some talks. And one of them was by Michael Wilcox. And he said, now God tends to do everything backwards. We worship backwards, God. I say, Lord, help me understand. And then I can believe. But the scriptures say, no, believe. And then you will understand. I say, that's backward. And he said, no, you have it backwards. The Lord says, be comforted, rejoice, give thanks. And then I can answer your prayers. And I say, Lord, answer my prayers. And then I'll be comforted, rejoice, and give thanks. So how often, you know, we're just like, I want the blessing now. Like, and then I'll rejoice. Yeah. But I was getting the answer that I needed to find joy and peace and gratitude right then. All through my rough waters. You know, I was, my promised land was being together as a family. But I was in these rough waters and... I had to find the joy. So those are the ways that I um, tried to find gratitude and joy, even as my family was being, you know, torn apart and I didn't know what was going to happen with my son. And it was crazy. So um, back to like Children's Hospital, Philadelphia, CHOP, um, they found out he had hyperinsulinism, which is kind of the opposite of diabetes. He had a growth on his pancreas that was just spitting out insulin all the time. Um, and when he was a month old, uh, Dr. Adzik over there, who is like specialized in this, 
uh, did a pancreatectomy. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you say it. Anyway, they took out half of his pancreas and it had the growth on it and they took out half of his pancreas. He has like a four, he had a four inch scar above his belly button. And um, he recovered so amazingly. Like they said he was wow. in the top five fastest recoveries that they've ever had there. But through this whole thing and his recovery, we um, didn't tell our family members. We just weren't sure, first of all, if he might relapse or something. And second of all, we thought, well, maybe we'll can surprise them for Christmas time. Cause we'd already gotten tickets to come, but everyone thought we were gonna like come for Christmas and then come back to shop. So um, they, he had to do an 18 hour fast. <laughs> you know, on this one month baby, I was like, I can't be anywhere near him. I will cry the entire time. Yeah. So, but he did great. His blood sugars were stable and they're like, he's cured. He can go home. And I was just, it was amazing. So we, uh, had met these people in the ward in Philadelphia. They were coming on our same flight and we went down and met the girls and my parents at the luggage claim. And then like five minutes later, they come with a car seat with a big red bow on it. And they're like, I think you forgot something. Merry Christmas. And we're just, my mom's just like, what? And the girls are like, what? And we're all just, it was just, you couldn't imagine a more, it was just perfect. I love that you got to have that special moment with just your girls first though. What, what a tender mercy to be able to, cause they, like you said, you know, they're dealing with all their own stuff. And so, for you guys to not, you know, to have that and focus on them instead of having the, the surprise be the focus. I think what a beautiful experience. That was a great idea. <laughs> it really, I mean, we'll just always remember it. And we talk about it every Christmas because, you know, you have those special Christmases that you remember, like this is out like by and far, blow everything out of the water. Like it was amazing. And we did, we surprised every single person in the family and, and they all just, it was amazing. <laughs> like you can't even, when we got to take him home, it was just indescribable. You can't even imagine, I mean, your family's been apart from each other for almost two months and then to come together, like we did not take that for granted. We, the next three months, we were just so close, so thankful to be together and, um, Link was doing so good. He was smiling. He was laughing. He was had getting really good neck strength. He loved his exercisor. He loved his bouncer. The girls were just infatuated with him. I have all kinds of videos of them just dancing for him and holding him and loving him. He would just laugh. And I just every day was like, I can't believe it. Like we're not in the hospital anymore. We're together as a family. Like we're in our promised land. And every day I gave thanks. I was so thankful. Um, and then March 26, 2013 happened. Um, it was a normal day. My first grader was at school. My kindergartner was home from school and she and my uh, three-year-old at the time was, they were watching something. Um, my husband was at the dentist and um, I went to get Link because Jason and I were going to switch at the dentist. He was going to come watch Link so I could go to the dentist. And I went in to get him up and he was just gone. He had rolled over. I picked him up. He was just cold. He was just gone. And I called 911. And I mean, I just was in full on shock mode. I was, I screamed like my daughters came there. Like, What's going on? And my one daughter was like, he's blue. And I'm calling 911 and shaking. And I tried to give him CPR and they're trying to walk me through it. And I called Jason and poor thing. He's like in the middle of a procedure. Like he threw cotton in and came and it was the paramedics came and they're like working on him asking me if he's ever had any medical issues and I'm just like are you kidding me like he yeah. flew to Philadelphia and they actually knew his story like this doesn't happen like people I mean I think he was the first one in southern Utah to have to go 
clear out there. So it was, I couldn't, and like I said, my mind was in so much shock. Like your brain just cushions, you know, whatever it has to do to like shut down all that. So only your basic functions can function. Like I was trying to call my friend to go pick up my daughter from school and I couldn't even, I'm just staring at my phone. Like, I don't even remember her name or her number. Like I was just in so much shock. I just was what, you know, my whole body and brain is like, what's going on. And Jason came and he went with the ambulance, but I knew from the very start that he was not going to make it. I was just like this, he's, when the minute I picked him up, I was like, he's gone. And I just knew his spirit was not in his body anymore. He was gone. And um, I got to the hospital and they worked on him, but they told me there's just nothing we can do. And that was, like I said, just shock. I've never had that much shock in my whole life of, I just, it was terrible. Um, like angels came and were helping in my house and helping with my kids. We let all the girls sleep in our room that night. And uh, it was Easter time. And we had done those resurrection eggs. I don't know if you have seen them, but each egg has something in it from the last week of Jesus's life or whatever. So I don't know how, but like we did that and we were trying to teach our kids that we believe, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and um, talk about, you know, that was a tender mercy to have him go at that time because there was so much focus on the resurrection. Yeah, it was right around Easter. But that night, I just remember with my girls, they're all laying in our room and I could not sleep. And I went to Link's room and just took his clothes out and I just held them. And I was just like, Heavenly Father, you have the wrong girl. I cannot do this. Like, I can't. Like, there's lots of strong women out there, but I can't. This is something like you just, you have the wrong girl. There's no way. I have, I need him. Like, I cannot live without him. I will not go on. This is not okay. There's no way that this is okay. And I just laid there and cried and cried. <laughs> just told him over and over again, like, this can't be. Like, I have to wake up and this has to be better. Like, he has to be back. And um, <laughs> it wasn't better and he wasn't back. And my nightmare just went on, you know. Um, but... Uh, I, I was, I, I say I was that day, like enrolled involuntarily in, in grief university and, and I will be there my whole entire life. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, that, you know, with your sister and everything, it's not something that goes away. Um, and it's not something that you'd ever, ever wish for, but man, there's a lot of learning to do a lot of learning and a lot of growing and I've had to do a lot of all of that <laughs> since that day. So that was 2013 and here we are in 2020 and I'm still learning all the time and it's still hard. Um, but I'm growing too. So yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing about your sweet link. Um, if it's okay, I'd love to kind of now talk about um, maybe the different meanings that you found in his sweet name and some of the ways that, that you've learned um, to process your grief and to deal with it. And I would never say that, that you want to be grateful for this trial because I don't know that that's something <laughs> that, that any mother could say to another mother is to be grateful for, for that. But definitely the things that you and your your girls and husband have been able to learn through this trial, I'm sure are very precious to you. So can we talk about that for a little bit? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so his name, we kind of talked about at the beginning was absolutely, I mean, he links us, he links our family, we call him like our link to heaven now. 
Um, and it's just such an amazing symbolism. Anytime I hear the word link, uh, it just warms my heart, which is a lot because we say that word a lot. <laughs> I have to send you this link, you know. Um, it's just everywhere. So I love it. I just love it. And um, we, so we say link to heaven. Um, we uh, have on his birthday, I, a few years back, decided to start sending, there's something about grief in that it's just, you have, it's love. I mean, grief is love. You have so much love for this person. And like, I can't buy my son really like birthday gifts. You know, that's something that I have all these girls. <laughs> I had two girls after <laughs> I lost him. So I have all these girls and I don't get to buy all these cute boy things. And, you know, that was really hard for me for a long time to just even be in the boys section at the store. Um, so I decided I was going to find some boys that were Link's age and I was going to buy them some birthday presents. Uh, so we call it like hashtag love for link. And, um, every year I send them a little package. Um, and this year, which is like a month away, he would be turning eight. So I think I'm going to send him a little tie. I usually send him some candy and like I send him cars for the first couple years, a matchbox cars that's on his headstone. There's cars. Um, and I love that I think it's such a, such a great way. Um, just like you said, the grieving process is, is going to be something that you're going to be dealing with for the rest of your life until you guys are reunited, really. And um, like you said, I think you have all of this love and you need somewhere for it to go. And I think that's why a lot of people do foundations or scholarships or anything like that. But I absolutely love also because one of our common friends, her son is one of the ones that you will send birthday presents to every year. And so not only do I know you're doing this, but then I also get to see the reaction of, of her son when she posts pictures about just how happy he is to get these extra little birthday presents because of Link. And I just think it's such a good idea for you, for your family, and also for the kids that, that get to be the recipients of it. So thank you. I love oh, that. I, <laughs> I love when parents send videos or pictures of their sons opening it. And it just brings me so much joy, you know, exactly like you said, you know, it needs an outlet. And for me to just be able to buy something and give it to someone and, and bring them joy, it brings me joy for sure. The other thing we do on his <clears throat> birthday uh, is donate to the Ronald McDonald House, uh, both in Philadelphia and um, and in Salt Lake City, because we've actually been to, we've had to go to primary children's with one of our daughters too um, here. And so, and we know how many people use that Ronald McDonald House in Salt Lake City. Um, but the Ronald McDonald House is, anyone that stayed there. It's just, it's a godsend. It's absolutely, we would have spent so much more money on hotels and rental cars and it would have, and food, they feed you. <laughs> and we were there at Christmas time. They gave, they let us pick gifts for our kids. It was just the biggest outpouring of love. Like I just, every time I donate to them, I wish I could just no, <laughs> give them all because they just do so much good in these families uh, in these situations. You know, yeah, there was a family there that had been at the Ronald McDonald house for over a year. And I was just, wow. you know, it, what would they have done otherwise? I don't know. Yeah. Um, as far as my girls, we have worked through our grief together. I would say my own grief journey um, was so, is so hard, um, but watching your children grieve is maybe harder. Um, we had to do some therapy. We worked through some, a lot of anger with one of my children. <laughs> um, but one thing that we all love to do is look for love notes. We call them love, love notes from Link. And he, rainbows are a big one from him. So on the day of his funeral, there was a rainbow 
and um, on the day of his six month birthday, there was a rainbow. On the day that my daughter that I had after him would have died the next day. Like she was that exact age he was when he died the next day. And I was in so much fear and grief. And I look out my window and there is just the most beautiful double rainbow you have ever seen. He sends us rainbows at the times we need them. That's a huge love note from him. Um, he also loves bugs a lot. <laughs> he sends us ladybugs and praying mantises. And um, one time I was working on my computer and there was a tarantula on my window. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was this huge tarantula. Um, so he sends us love notes and we look for those every day. We see hearts, yeah. we see shooting stars. Um, rainbows are definitely our main one that is like that's link tell when we travel almost every time we travel we will see a rainbow like it's we just went to Alaska and those rainbows are just like link is here with us one time we took a family picture and I was so depressed because he wasn't in the picture with us and we're sitting there taking pictures we weren't sure if we should even take it it was kind of cloudy and overcast but we decided to just try it anyway. So we got down to St. George and we're taking pictures and this rainbow just appeared like behind us. And it's like, he, he is in our pictures. He's in our pictures with us. It was just a miracle. It was awesome. Yeah. So, so everyone's just really different with their grief journey and everyone obviously uh, has different ways that help them. Um, for me, uh, getting outside is a big deal. Like I need to get outside, especially in the mountains. I say I'm kind of like the Heidi from the storybook. Like I'm happiest when I'm in the mountains. Um, exercising is a big deal for me. Um, like you read in the bio, I, I go running, I go trail running, I like triathlons, something that just gets me outside and can just release that stress is big for me. Like. I, I could just feel it build up when I haven't gone on a long run in a while. Um, writing, like I said, is huge for me. I need an outlet. And even now, when I start to feel myself going down that dark hole of grief and when things start getting really heavy, because for me, it's actually a physical, like, heaviness. Like, I just feel so heavy, like, every single task I have to do seems 10 times harder and I can just feel that grief on me like a heavy heavy blanket and I'm like I have got to start writing my gratitude things in my journal again <laughs> so I, I go in my journal and again I just I just have to focus on like the good I have to just go through and list my blessings and and, and start noticing again like I have to pull my head up and say, you know, I, I'm sorry, there are so many blessings around me and I am so focused on this darkness and this grief and this heaviness, which I think acknowledging it is, we have to do that, we can't just ignore it. Um, but once I've kind of seen that I'm in that place saying, okay, I am in this heavy, dark place and I'm gonna try and start writing my gratitude list again, making sure I'm getting outside, making sure I'm exercising, making sure I'm reading my scriptures, I'm listening to good music. Those are ways God speaks to me. Those are like a personal, like, I know God speaks to me through scriptures and through good music. Yeah. And then watching for his love notes. Yep, every day is uh, something that helps me. I have found for myself, because I have times when I've chosen bitter instead of better. And I realize when I'm in that bitter place, I'm not able to see the better. And I am just, it's so dark and so hard. And the minute, like my friend Gayla said, like I, I start to surrender and I start to let go and I start to say thy will be done, then he's able to help me find the peace and find the joy and, um, and that, that scripture, you know, the peace that passeth under all understanding to me means 
now, like my interpretation is like, I will never understand why this had to happen to him. I will never completely understand why he had to be taken away from our family. Um, but that's what the piece is. It passes all that. Like, I don't need to understand his piece passes all of that understanding. I can't, I'm never going to understand it. Like, so that's where his peace comes in and takes over his atonement takes over. Like, because my mortal brain just can't even comprehend it. I can't, if I start dwelling on all the what ifs and the, and the hard stuff, you know, his peace can't reach me. So for his angel anniversary, which is what we call it on the day he died, we have gotten into family history work. And um, that is huge for our family. I never was into family history work at all before he died. Um, but we read one of the things that helped right after he died was reading afterlife books. And uh, this guy meets his grandpa and the grandpa's like, we help you and you help us. You know, your angels are your relatives from the other side. And that hit me so powerfully. I absolutely knew that was true. And um, he's like, we help you, you help us. And I was like, well, how do we help them? And it's like family history, ding, ding, ding. So we have, my girls have gotten into it um, and we have seen miracles happen uh, with family history and even with living members. Jason's mom went through the temple for the first time and just, it's, it's amazing. I mean, he really has helped us so much and we feel like that's kind of his mission from the time of his birthday, November to March. We try to do as many names as we can and find in as many names as we can. And on his angel bursary, we write them on paper strips, make a chain, and we link them around his bench and um, on his headstone, the bench. Yeah. Uh huh. And that's like our, and we let go of white balloons. And that's like our, our moment of like, we're trying to help you. We know you're helping us every day and you're watching over us. And I always tell my girls, like, you have a brother that can watch over you. Sorry. In ways that a normal brother never could, like he will be with you on the bus. He will be with you at school. He'll be with you when you take that test. He'll be with you when you go on that date and you feel awkward. He will be with you. He can be with you and he will be with you and ask him to be with you. And he will, you know, and that kind of brother, you know, big brother, even though he was some of their little brothers, like he's now watching over them, like, you know, the best big brother that ever was. So I love it. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know, I know it's hard. It's kind of a catch 22. I think a lot of times with grief, um, people try to not ask about your loved one that you've lost and things like that, because they don't want to make you feel sad. And, um, but I think that, so it's such a catch 22 because I'm feeling so bad looking at you and, and thinking, yeah. oh, I made her feel sad and I don't want to make her feel that way. But then on the other hand, no. it's so important to be able to talk about your loved ones. And, um, I just think so many people can learn. No, yeah. Never <laughs> feel bad about that. It's, it's such a gift. Like it's a gift. I get to talk about my living kids all day long to lots of people, but I don't get to talk about my son very much. Like in a right, and we talk about his family like all the time, but to other people, it's just it's such a gift to be able to share him and tell his story and and yeah. So thank you. It's amazing to be able to do this. So beautiful. Thank you so much. If there is somebody that's listening that maybe is grieving themselves, um, maybe they've lost a child, whatever whatever the reason, maybe they want to get in contact with you. What's the best way to do that? Um, I am on Facebook under Heidi Potts Hamilton, and you can always connect with me that way. Send me a message, um, click on, you know, to be a friend with me. That's a great way. I have a blog where I have like a lot of my grief journey is on my blog and you have to click down to that time frame. Uh, but you'll notice even now I post newsletters every month and he's still in there every month. I still have a section for link and we, I write you know, the love notes that we've seen or ways that we've done things in his name. But um, yeah, 2012, end of 2012 and like most of 2013 is, you know, and if you're in that place and you just want some like maybe empathy and um, kind of this is, so that's just how I worked through things and I wrote about yeah. um, 
how I process things and, and things that helps, you know, here and there. So, um, yeah, I'm also very active with the share group, which is a group for infant and pregnancy loss. And they are very helpful. I went to their in-person meetings, um, for the first six months or so, just to have someone to talk to that knew exactly what I was going through. And there's a share chapter all over the country, you know, so if you just type in like share, uh, infant loss or pregnancy and infant loss support. Um, there should be a chapter near you or ask me about it and I can help you find one. So. Okay. I'll link, um, all of link. <laughs> You're right. Yay! We say it all the time. <laughs> I will link all of these things that you talked about in the show notes. And also I want to get, um, the talk that Gayla shared with you. I would mm -hmm. love to have the link for that because I would love to read that also. Awesome. Really yeah. Good one. I will. I'll send that <laughs> so to you. We'll, it's so good. We'll put all of those in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here today, Heidi. I think that um, I'm, I've always looked up to you. I think you're just such an amazing person. And I think the way that you've handled grief and like you said, it's up and down and, and that's okay. Um, but I, I appreciate all the things that you teach me about grief and how to deal with it. So thank you so much. And thanks for sharing Link's story. I appreciate thanks. it. <laughs> thanks so much, Carly. I feel the same way about you. You're amazing. <laughs> so, and thank you guys all for listening today. Um, I just, I feel so much gratitude towards the people that are listening and following and sharing all of these podcasts because the more that you do that, I know that um, these powerful messages of faith and inspiration are going to get to people who need them. So thank you so much for you guys and all that you do as well. And I hope you guys have a wonderful week and are able to see the light in your own personal darkness. And we'll see you here next Wednesday. Bye. Bye. I want to give a special thanks to my son Carter for recording and writing our intro and outro music for this podcast. If you want to hear more of his music, you can find him on Instagram at CarterGuitar456.